If you go with me to Luke chapter 1, we're going to examine the question, was Jesus virgin born? And uh, I may go through this faster than normal because there's a lot here, but at least you have some something you can take with you to look over. But in Luke chapter 1, and beginning in verse 26, we have part of the account of his birth and his conception. In the sixth month, in verse 26 of Luke 1, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall, be, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Well, uh, these first, first um, comments here are just uh, an introductory a very little scripture, but we will get into scripture when we get to page four. But let me just follow along as I read here. As we know the time of the year that the world celebrates the time of Jesus' birth, we're going to take a look at what the Bible teaches concerning the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. For you that are saved and have served the Lord a number of years, it is not news to you that people question the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. What may be strange is there are some who call themselves Christians, yet they deny the virgin birth of Christ, of Jesus Christ. I personally do not understand how someone who has read the Bible verses on the virgin birth and yet deny it, and then still maintain they are born again Christians. Listen, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ is directly related to the gospel and the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin. Nels F. S. Furry, a professor at the Pacific School of Religion in Berkeley, California, wrote the following concerning Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, we remember, was found pregnant before her engagement to mild Joseph. Nazareth was hard by a Roman garrison where the soldiers were German mercenaries. Jesus is also reported throughout a continuous part of his history of art, it is claimed to have been blonde. I don't know if you ever, ever have seen a picture of Jesus 
and his hair blonde. Uh, I, I've seen numerous pictures that way. This is supposedly unnatural for the Mediterranean countries where the same tradition started and was continued. Hence, Jesus must have been a child of a German soldier. After all, the claims develop, such as the experience of many girls near military camps. His great genius, spiritual agony, and serene victory would thus be accounted for as far as the unusual conditions go with gave him the chance to respond in an exceptional manner in the fullness of time. Such an interpretation has been made of his life, and who can deny that such a conjecture could be true? Well, there's lots of wordiness in there, but the bottom line is that this professor from a religious school says that he's an illegitimate son of a Roman soldier, and the pictures of him of blonde hair uh, help verify that. Other skeptics point, <laughs> that's a good, good evidence. So other skeptics point out that the claim of virgin birth has been given to many great personalities in the pages of history. One man said the claims of virgin birth at the following, to believe in the virgin birth as an explanation of a great personality is one of the familiar ways in which the ancient world was accustomed to account for unusual superiority. One such man was Nimrod, who is mentioned in the Bible as the man who built Babylon. After his death, he, he was said to have come back in the birth of his son, Tamaz, virgin born by the queen Semiramis. Uh, actually, Semiramis was his actual mother of Nimrod. And so he, he claims to come back. Though Alexander the Great did not claim a virgin birth, many said he was the son of one of the Greek gods. The Unitarians deny the virgin birth, saying, During the life of Jesus, he was understood by all to be the son of Joseph and Mary, born in holy wedlock. This is clear from a study of the Gospels in their early and most authentic form. Now, that's highlighted because you need to keep this in mind. People who defend other versions besides the King James Bible says that their manuscripts are older, and because they're older, they're closer to the original, and they're better. That is not right. They're older because they find these older manuscripts, and they find them uh, because they weren't used. The good manuscripts were used, and they wore out. And so when you find a little footnote in your Thompson Bible or Ryrie Study Bible, and it says the older manuscripts say this, put a big question mark there because the older manuscripts are not necessarily reliable. And in fact, the majority of the manuscripts are far great. Like, like oh, I shouldn't have chased this rabbit. Uh, if you were to have a, uh, try to picture, the manuscripts from which the NIV and all these other Bibles come about this high, the manuscripts that the King James come from are, are volumes, uh, great manuscripts, and a lot of them. And so uh, just uh, that's why th those uh, words there are highlighted. But long after the death of Jesus, unknown hands added to the copies of the gospel, adding legends to the first chapters of Matthew and Luke. In other words, they're saying that the story of Jesus' birth was added. But when you take the evidence from Bible manuscripts, you'll find the oldest 
oldest or the manuscripts all have the account of, Je of the birth of Jesus. So they're saying even though these older ones weren't used up, they still have the virgin birth in them. What one believes about the virgin birth of Christ is significant. Uh, Larry King uh, was an interviewer. And it was on television a great deal, but he's much older now. I don't even know if he's still alive. Larry King, the master interviewer of CNN. Uh, and somebody told me years ago that CNN st stood for Clinton N News Network. Everybody awake today? <laughs> I'm trying to keep this going. Once appeared as a guest on The Late Show with David Letterman. During the course of the conversation, Letterman asked Larry King if he, if he could interview any person from history, who would it be? Without a moment's hesitation, King responded, Jesus Christ. Letterman, who's rarely at loss for words, looked stunned. It was clearly not the answer he had expected. <clears throat> Making a halting, stammering recovery, Letterman followed up with this question, well, what would you ask him? I'd ask him, replied King, if he really was born of a virgin. The answer to that question would defy history, and that's found in James Kennedy's book on evangelism. Larry King was certainly right. The issue is not just a theological issue. The truthfulness of the virgin birth is the key to everything that follows. All right, let's get into the Bible. Consider the conclusions one comes to if they deny the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Number one, I, I, I put A here. Then, if he wasn't virgin born, Mary was a fornicator. When the angel appeared to her, we're here in Luke, Luke in chapter 1 and verse 28. The angel said, and the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And then in verse uh, uh, 20, that's a, mis that's, that's a uh, misreference. It's my <clears throat> this woman whom the angel called blessed among women, the one whom he said is, had favor with God is made out to be an unchaste woman conceiving out of wedlock. Matthew 1 <clears throat> says of Mary, tells us that before the Joseph and Mary came together, she was with child. Of course, you understand that come together is a reference to the act of marriage. Joseph thought for a while that she had been unfaithful during the espousal time, but it was straightened out by the angels. And you remember that Joseph wanted to put her away privately. He loved her. He could have had her uh, as a candidate for stoning, but he didn't want to. He loved her, so he wanted to just do this privately. And when he was contemplating that, the Lord came and said, uh, told him that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so 
The conclusion would be that she's a fornicator. The second conclusion would be that Jesus was a bastard or illegitimate. I'm leaving a couple of eyes out, I think. Um, illegitimate. Nowhere, you can't find it, there's nowhere in the Bible except uh, these other virgins. Uh, there's one place in another virgin that says his mother and his father in relationship to Joseph and Mary. But there's nowhere in, in the King James Version does it claim that Joseph was his father? And in fact, in fact, it's very, uh, it's very important to see the wording. If you go with me to Luke chapter 2 and verse 23. Uh, and I should have checked all these references. Anyway, let's look at verse 43. I'm sorry. Luke 2, 43. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. That it doesn't refer to Joseph as his father, but it just refers to Joseph as being jo Joseph. And to deny the virgin birth is implied that Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ was, he was uh, a liar. There's many people write about Jesus Christ and who he is, and you have to, uh, the, there's, uh, I think, I uh, forget who wrote this, Lord, liar, or lunatic. Now Jesus, if he's not, if he's not, God, then he's a liar. And if he wasn't God and he pushed this thing to where he was crucified, he, he was a crazy man. And people want to say that don't, uh, that don't believe in the virgin birth. Well, Jesus was a good man. He was a good man. But he's not a good man if he's a liar. And, and, and that he was very smart and used, uh, you know, blessed, was a blessing to people. But a lunatic is, is not. So you have to either say Jesus was Lord. There's no, there's no other option. He was either Lord and who he said he was, or he's a liar or a lunatic. And, and some say, well, Jesus never did claim to be God. Well, let's go over here in uh, John chapter 14. Go to John chapter 14 and look in verse 8. In John 14 and 8, Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall, be, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you, and continue you in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Uh, these sayings have I spoken unto you that my joy might be feel, fulfilled and, and that you uh, that remain in you and that your joy might be full. Look at, look, uh, uh, 
I'm, I'm in 15. Man, I'm, I'm having such a hard time this morning. Let's just go sing another song and we'll start out. <laughs> John 14. Okay, here we go. This is going to make a lot more sense. <laughs> Philip said unto the Father, John 14, 8. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long with you? And yet, hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am the Father? I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me. He doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for thy very work's sake. And then drop back to, to uh, John chapter 8. John chapter 8 and verse 58. He's speaking to the Pharisees. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. If you look over in, in Exodus, uh, Exodus 3.14, when Moses was at the burning bush, and it never did burn up, he asked who he was, who, who the, the, the personality was that was speaking to him. Obviously it was God. And God says, I am that I am, Jehovah. That God is not someone that was or someone that is, but someone is, that is, is ever present. I am. And so when Jesus said that, they took up stones to stone him because definitely he was saying that he was God. One more verse in, in John chapter 5 and verse 18. In John 5 and 18. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And so... Uh, if we would expect God to come or think of God coming into this world, we would naturally think that he would have some kind of supernatural coming. And, and he did. Now, uh, Roman numeral two. Now, I want you to understand that the truth is not to be found in the wisdom of men, but in the revelation of God. Though heaven... Though the heavens show God's handiwork, the greatest revelation of God is his word. And Jesus said, uh, Jesus was talking about, uh, or Peter and was, was relating there in, in first or second Peter, how that, that, that he testified that Jesus who said, was who he said he was, and that he had seen him there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he saw his glory. But he went on and said, but we have a more sure word of prophecy. 
greater than seeing something with our eyes is the testimony of the word of God. I got to chase another rabbit here. Uh, people will say of Christians that they that their faith is a blind faith. And we've got to understand the difference. When I get on an airplane and I buckle myself up, I have a faith in the pilot. When I get in the car and go, I have a faith that, you know, it was built well and it's going to get me where I'm going. That faith is a faith based upon experience. I've been there and I've done that. Or I've talked to someone else who's been there and done that. When it talks about the faith of the Bible, by faith we understood that the worlds were framed. In uh, Hebrews it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. That word substance means something solid. The faith of the Bible is based on something solid. What is that? Well, Abraham believed God and it's kind of an for righteousness. What it's based upon is God's word. It's based upon our uh, belief that God's word is true. It's based upon actually fact. It's based upon not experience, but uh, what he says. And so uh, if I was going to trust something, this world changes all the time. Someone human we put confidence in changes all the time. Science changes all the time. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when I put my faith in him, it's not based upon experience, but it's based upon conviction. Conviction. Why do I believe that Jesus is God? Because of conviction that the Bible is true. Faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. And after that, then I experience. I know in whom I have believed. That's experience. And I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. But salvation is based upon the word of God and conviction. And people want to people want to say, well, you know, you're just uh, you're just believing in blind. It's just blind faith. You're just jumping off and believing. No, I believe I believe that this is God's word. And there's many things that you could say to give evidence for that. But my faith is built upon conviction and it's conviction that stands on the solid word of God. The Bible stands. All right, too many rabbits this morning. Uh, let's go back about the revelation. That this is based upon the revelation. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. I see I'm, uh, it's going to be futile to try to finish this lesson today. I'm sorry. In Genesis chapter 3, 
this is terrible. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Well, let's begin. The Lord is confronting Adam and Eve concerning their disobedience. He says in verse 13, what hast thou done? And uh, Adam blames the woman. And the woman blames the serpent. And uh, God curses them. And he says to the serpent, in verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Well, what does that have to do with the virgin birth? Well, there's important, there's important two words in there, and it's the word, words, her seed. Her seed. When the Bible speaks about descendants from certain people, it always talks about the seed of the man. For instance, in Isaiah 41.8, it says the seed of Abraham. Not the seed of Sarah, but the seed of Abraham. In Romans 1, it talks about the seed of David, that Solomon came from the seed of David and not from Bathsheba. And we know from procreation, uh, having children, that it's the seed, the, the seed, the sperm from the man that connects with the egg and blood begins, life begins. But here it says her seed. And the only logical understanding of it being her seed is that it was it was a virgin birth. Well, there's something that from was from her, and had nothing to do with any connection to a man. Another verse that is very powerful concerning the virgin birth is one that's very familiar to you. Isaiah, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 7, and verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we know from the New Testament that that means God with us. There in the last part of verse five, page 5, when we come to Isaiah 7, 14, we find an Old Testament prophecy, leaving no doubt as to what is being spoken. Isaiah says, 
Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign, and behold, a virgin shall conceive. Conceive, of course, means to be with child. Doesn't necessarily mean in the act of marriage, uh, which brings about conception. It could have been illegitimate. Because the belief in the virgin birth is so critical to one's faith in salvation, it should be not be a surprise that Isaiah 714 is under attack by the critics. They maintain that the Hebrew word Alma, here translated virgin, simply means a young woman of meritable age. They maintain if Isaiah really meant virgin, he would have used the word Bethula, which clearly means a virgin. However, when you examine the seven uses of Alma, we find there's not a single use which indicates that one spoken of is not a virgin. And I gave you those seven passages there in the reference. I don't believe everything Martin Luther, he had the right that salvation is by grace, but for 400 years ago, Martin Luther issued a challenge. If a Jew or a Christian can prove to me that in any passage of scripture, Alma means a married woman, I'll give him 100 florins. I don't know what does, money of, of Germany, I guess. Although God alone knows where I will find them. And of course, it was never challenged. Ireland pastor, Ian Paisley, who I think died a couple of years ago, he said in Isaiah 7:14, the definite article is prefixed to Alma. When it's translated, you don't always find the definite article. But instead of saying, uh, go, 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 uh, go get a dog, go, go get the dog, go get a dog is different from go get the dog. When you say the dog, it means a specific dog. And when, when Isaiah in the Hebrew, it's the virgin. Now, what I want you to understand is that uh, we don't have to know all of this Hebrew and Greek and to understand. Because verse upon verse, when you study out this issue, the New Testament makes it very plain. Whether you knew that the definite article there was not, was there or wasn't there. If you go to Matthew chapter 1, we no longer even have to think that Alma could mean any woman of marital age. Uh, whether she's a virgin or not. But in Matthew chapter 1, I think we looked at this earlier, it's very, there's no wiggle room here. The, 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 to deny what Matthew chapter 1 says is to deny the Bible. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph. She's engaged. And the Jewish engagement is much more than what we know today in our own lives. Before they came together, what does that mean? Well, it means that they never came together in any sexual way. Before they came together, she was found with child 
of the Holy Ghost. Look down in verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared, of, appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And then in verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted God with us. This is a direct quote from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Just a little heads up. Um, when it says that she was with child of the Holy Ghost, what does all that mean? And uh, she is conceived, in verse 20, the last part of that, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Next week, I want to bring you some, some things to think about. But you wonder, okay, we know that he doesn't have any of the blood of Joseph in him. But what happened when it says that she was conceived of the Holy Ghost? Was there, was a part of the Holy Spirit in this child, was, was there anything? Was, was the egg from Mary? And uh, in the fall of man, was not everything affected in our lives? Everything contaminated? Was there any part of a human being and this holy thing in Mary. Well, we'll explore that next week. You guys can chew on that. Because Mary, uh, was that egg? Did it have any fallen nature about it? Or the eggs that are found within women without any effect of the fall? And it's only the sperm of man that affects it. Well, we'll look at that. Luke, in your notes here, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin name was Mary, and the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord shall give him unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And the kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man, a virgin? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing 
the holy thing, not an illegitimate child, but a holy thing, which shall be born of thee, shall be called the Son of God. And so there's some that say that when Jesus was baptized, that the Spirit of God came, and God said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased, that the Spirit of the dove came and was the Spirit of God and the voice from heaven, but deity did not come upon Christ at his baptism. He was a holy thing within Mary. He came in this world being deity. Galatians 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. And so what's the consequences of denying the virgin birth? To reject the virgin birth is to make Mary an unchaste fornicator. To reject the virgin birth is to make Jesus an illegitimate bastard. It's blasphemy of the highest kind. To deny the virgin birth is to imply that the Lord Jesus Christ was an imposter and a liar. To deny the virgin birth forces one to deny the inspiration and veracity of the Bible. To reject the virgin birth is calling into question the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you, this is what happens, and I'm, I mentioned it, but when the, when the sperm penetrates the ovum, then the first thing that you see, you know, the egg starts splitting, of course. One of the first things you see happen is blood appears. That's why, that's, that's because of that, I believe that life begins there. If you want to talk about abortion, life begins at conception. And so there's something, something different about Jesus because when this, there was no sperm from a man, yet there's blood. And uh, I got, I think, I got uh, six minutes here, so I think we can get a little further here. His, <clears throat> what's, what is there different about, uh, is it, what's different about Jesus' blood than other blood? Well, the Bible says uh, is that his blood is innocent. I think that could have a couple of meanings, but I don't think it's uh, devoids. The meaning I'm trying to give it is that what was in his veins was innocent. His blood is innocent blood as opposed to guilty blood. Judas Iscariot said a lot when he said, I have betrayed innocent blood. His blood is precious. What makes something precious? Well, it's rare. Something that's rare. That's why gold is valuable. It's rare. And, not, and it makes it precious in its in, how should I word this, in, 
its value, what it can, what it can purchase. It was its precious blood as opposed to corruptible blood. Peter said our salvation from which was not, that was not purchased with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Why is it precious? Because uh, without it, I'm going straight to hell. Why is it precious? Because it could pay for sin. Silver and gold. You can't go to a Catholic church and give enough money to have your sins forgiven. Can't do it. You can't crawl on your hands and knees as I saw Catholic, uh, Hispanic Catholics in Mexico going to the Virgin of Guadalupe Church, bleeding from their hands and knees because their suffering was going to pay for their sin. It's rare. <laughs> and it's the only thing in all of creation that can redeem a man from sin. It's precious. His blood is divine blood. In Acts chapter 20 and 28, it says, The church of God, talks about the church of God, which he have purchased with his own blood. And you see, when it, when it, the, the, his own blood is talking about God. That... He purchased the, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And so not only is it innocent and precious, but it's God's blood. No man, there's no, there's, there's, a, there's no link to man. His blood is a cleansing blood. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses. And that word is a continual, it's a present tense. Cleanses us from all sin. His blood is a peace-speaking blood. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether there be things in earth or things in heaven. His blood is a justifying blood as opposed to the blood of judgment. Being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. His blood is incorruptible as opposed, uh, as opposed to corruptible blood. You were not redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ. There's something distinct about Jesus' blood and, and uh, these verses that I've given you here, especially when you go over to Hebrews chapter 9, and the verses in Hebrews. The Hebrews maintains that as a tabernacle and, and the furniture of the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies and those things, that they were a type of what was in heaven. And the Bible talks about how Jesus, when he died, went and presented his blood on the altar in heaven. And... Uh, you can read these verses and come to your own conclusion. But my conclusion is it's still there, giving a testimony. And why, how could it still be there? Because it's incorruptible. It's incorruptible. 
Okay. Uh, I'm going to have to quit. I'm, I'm sorry that uh, I stumbled around here at the first. But um, the point is this, that there was nothing about fallen man. By one man, sin came into the world, and death by sin, so because death passed upon all men, Romans 5.12, 5, 5.8. The my sons are sinners, because of their father. That I'm a sinner <laughs> because of my father. And we trace it back as far as you want, but we're all sinners because of Adam. The Bible talks about the first Adam and the last Adam. Jesus being the last Adam. And quite different Adam was our federal head, and we're all sinners in the federal head of Adam. Christ is our federal head, and we can all be saved through Christ because he had no sin, and his blood was incorruptible blood. Why was a virgin birth necessary? Because there had to be blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And there wasn't a man walking on the face of the earth that could pay that price because we're all sinners. But God made a plan how that a man could pay for our sins because we're sinners. Man, man has sinned. And so man needs to have a, someone that can pay for his sin. But there was no man. That's why... That's why in the book of Revelation, when, it's, when the angel cried out, who can open the seal? And that seal represented the title deed of all creation. And no one could open the seal. And John fell down and started to weep. And they said, weep not, for the lion of the tribe of Judah can open the seal because he's God. He's sinless. And he paid for our sin. The virgin birth. If you don't believe in the virgin birth, uh, you got problems. And they're eternal problems. Okay. I hope you finish reading this and, uh, and uh, we'll move on. Okay. You're dismissed. <laughs>